I'm Julian Dobbs, the Diocesan Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. Uh, welcome to this episode of Living Through the Word, where we come together to share with you what God is doing in the world of the Anglican Church and throughout the body of Christ, throughout Christendom, especially where we have some level of participation. You know, the mission of the church, or rather the Great Commission, is clear. Jesus gave the Great Commission uh, to the disciples, and he said in Matthew 28, go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We're going to come back to that in this episode of Living Through the Word, because today I'm very privileged to be joined by a man who has become a personal friend and advisor over the past year. He lives in a great place in the country. He's going to tell you about that. The Reverend and soon-to-be a doctor, Danny Hyde, is a theologian and pastor who resides in sunny, beautiful Southern California. I hope it's sunny today, Danny. Uh, and we'll have an opportunity to get to know Danny more on this podcast for the next few months. Uh, but today, um, we are having him on because he's the author of a book called Jesus Loves the Little Children, Why We Baptize Children. And we'll include a link to that in the show notes. And I just want to say here at this um, introductory part to the podcast, um, I think um, that this is one of, if not the best book on why we baptize infants. In fact, our, our own canon theologian, Henry Jansma, says the same thing. I've got a copy of the book. I encourage you to get it. Um, Danny, welcome. Great to have you on with us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, good to be here and looking forward to the conversation, talking about uh, something that we probably talk about uh almost every week with somebody who's new yeah. to, to our congregation. Yeah. yeah, I tell you. <laughs> Baptizing babies, right? Yeah, and it's such, it's such a, a, a dividing issue um, uh, in the church, isn't it? And, I, and, I, and one of the things your book does is it takes us back deep into why we do this, and, and we'll get into um, some of that. Um, baptizing in the name of the Trinity has been the first prescribed step to making disciples given by our Savior, and the apostles began this process almost immediately, baptizing on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 were baptized. Um, Paul baptized the household of Lydia in Acts chapter 16. And then uh, later in the chapter, we see the household of the Philippian jailer being baptized. It's such a cool story. Uh, and in 1 Corinthians, we also um, find the household of Stephanus having been baptized. So one of the things I don't want to forget to ask you, Danny, we don't need to ask, answer it now, is how can we be sure that there were infants in those households? And we'll, we'll pick that up anyway. Sure. But as, as Anglicans anyway, we, we understand that the children of believers, the children of Christians are to be baptized into the, the family of Jesus, but, but not every Christian agrees with us uh, on this. And as I said, it's, it's quite a dividing issue. And there's so much noise around it. And so I've asked Danny to come on and help us cut through some of that static and, and bring us some clarity to the issue. But just to get to know this very cool guy called Danny Hyde, um, <laughs> Danny, tell us about you. Tell us about your wife, your family, your ministry, how you came to faith in Christ. Take us on that journey for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, first of all, again, thanks. And uh, yeah, for all those listening um, in the in the wide world of Anglicanism, uh, I'm a Dutch Reformed pastor. I'm not Dutch, but I pastor in a Dutch Reformed denomination. Uh, and I would always tell people that, or I do tell people that, uh, you know, there's there's great historic ties between the Dutch Reformation uh, and the English Reformation. Uh, the Dutch asked uh, Queen Elizabeth I for help uh, way back when, and uh, that set off a, what I would think is a good relationship. Obviously, uh, it kind of went south a little bit when they when they stole uh, King Charles I ship uh up the river <laughs> and there was an uh, anglo-dutch war but besides that you know we've got a lot in common so um all yeah, very well, pertinent uh, points for this current season when we're talking about elizabeth's and charles's and yeah sort of stuff right yeah. yeah and yeah uh we actually uh on sunday morning in our in our liturgy the elder one of our elders or one of our pastoral interns does uh the the prayers of intercession uh and uh our intern prayed actually prayed for you know the family of the queen and uh, the new king and somebody said afterwards man what happened to us all of a sudden you know we, we lost our american uh identity this morning you know <laughs> uh 
So, um, yeah, but thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, I've been here. I, I was born, uh, born and raised, uh, lived in Southern California my whole life. Um, 48, uh, long years, 48 young years. Um, yeah, I grew up in, uh, generally speaking, Los Angeles, uh, the suburbs of Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, I, I, I played hoops, played basketball, uh, went to college, um, you know, met my wife and so forth. And, uh, you know, in all of that, you know, the Lord and his grace and his mercy, um, you know, has led me to him. So I was, I was baptized, uh, as an infant in the Roman Catholic church. And then there are lots of ups and downs of life and family and so forth. Um, the Lord drew me to himself with saving faith when I was, uh, 17, at least consciously, you know, that's when I remember, um, you know, the Lord, the Lord knows, but, uh, 17 years old, four square church, uh, it's a charismatic church founded by Amy Semple McPherson, very famous, uh, very, very famous Southern California, uh, Los Angeles, uh, based, uh, founder of a, of a Christian movement, pastor, preacher, right back in the day. Um, so I was baptized again and, uh, went to college. And when I started asking lots of questions about my faith and, you know, the Christian faith, trying to find some more stability than what I felt I had and generally speaking, charismatic and Pentecostal circles, uh, I was drawn to, uh, or was led to, pointed to, um, you know, the Protestant Reformation. And so I started reading voraciously lots of books. Um, you know, I, I read a lot of Luther, read a lot of Calvin, um, you know, and, and other, other historic Protestant, you know, writings. Started learning about the Reformation. And really, that's, that, that sort of study, um, especially for me, it was the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. Um, that's, that is really what gave me assurance up to that point. I didn't really have a lot of assurance that I, that I was a believer. Um, you know, not that all Christian, not, not that all charismatics or Pentecostals believe this, but at least, you know, in my context, it was, you know, if you don't speak in tongues, you know, you, you don't, you don't know that you have the, you don't have the baptism of the Holy spirit. And therefore, you know, there's sort of a, you know, there's a lack there, you know, there's a hole in your, in your, um, Christian, Christian life. And so when I learned that I was justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, you know, it was, um, you know, like Charles Wesley's hymn, you know, uh, my chains fell off. My heart was free. Yes. I rose, went forth and followed thee. So, uh, that was when I really felt, uh, assurance. And so that led me, you know, I, I, at the same time, I was a youth pastor in a Pentecostal church and, um, you know, I was learning about reformational stuff, and that led me to Westminster Seminary in California, where I studied for my MDiv, um, and then graduated in 2000. We planted Oceanside United Reformed Church here in uh, sunny Oceanside slash Carlsbad, uh, North County of San Diego. Um, my wife, Kara Jean, she's a, she's a teacher at University of California, Irvine, and um, got four, four kids, three boys, Cyprian, Caden, Daxton. And then I have uh, a little daughter, Sadie. So been here since 2000, planting, pastoring, replanting, uh, pastoring, replanting, pastoring. <laughs> this uh, the great church, glad to be here, happy to be here. Thanks to the Lord's brought me here. And uh, yeah, we're always constantly dealing with this issue of, you know, why we baptize babies. Well, thank you, Danny. Thank you for sharing something of your journey with us. It's it's really, really important. Before we just, I want to ask you the first question about baptism. Just let me take you back to something that you said, that whole discovery you made of those Reformation solas. Yeah. Um, it seems as if, it seems as if God, the Holy Spirit is, 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 I don't know, what is he doing? He's, he's drawing so many people to rediscover the solas of the Reformation. Are you seeing that? Yeah, you know, we, we see that here in Southern California, um, not just in our congregation, but, you know, in, in, the, in the churches to which I belong, but that's just in general as well, you know, in, in broadly speaking, reformed, um, you know, historic Protestant churches, there's just, there's such a, there's just such a lack of good doctrinal understanding uh, in, in, in modern evangelical Christianity, you know, American Christianity. And so, when you clearly proclaim to people the good news that that is great news that Jesus Christ died for sinners and that God uh, Himself accepts sinners without any works uh, other than Christ's works, and that you you simply come, uh, you know, you come with your sins and you give your sins up 
And in the place of that, you receive Christ himself, his righteousness, um, and you stand before God accepted once and for all. You know, it doesn't mean that you don't struggle, that you don't continue to sin, that you don't fail, uh, that, that you don't stumble and fall and need to be, re, you know, sort of redrawn and brought back. But you have that assurance that God has done something for you. Uh, you know, the great Reformation emphasis on the, you know, the gospels for us, for you. Um, at the same time, the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts and he's, he's constantly sanctifying us. Um, but that ground of Christ's righteousness being the ground of our justification, the, the foundation of it all. You know, and we can stand secure on that, even when we don't feel it, even when uh, we do stumble and fall and struggle. So, yeah, that that, that gospel message, um, you know, in general, yeah, evangelicalism, you know, quote unquote, preaches the gospel. But a lot of times it's just not clearly articulated Sunday by Sunday in a way that people hear it, not, not just hear it, but, you know, they, they know that God is for me um, and that he's gracious towards me in Christ. So, yeah, we see that, you know, on a weekly basis, people f coming, mostly young people coming to, to us, asking questions, you know, they don't all stick, but asking these questions of, you know, how can I, how can I find uh, a, a gracious God? And it's not, it's not rocket science, right? The gospel is actually simple. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and we make it rocket science. We yeah. make it rocket science, yeah. right? So yep. we don't, we don't want to make infant baptism rocket science so i want to talk to you about yep, that right um, what, what say you about the baptism of believers children three questions off the bat Danny. yeah why do, why do we baptize children um what are we doing when we baptize the children of believers and and also thirdly what are we not doing when we baptize the children of believers yeah great questions um wh why do we baptize children so i'll try to out anglican the anglicans here um there you go. i'm the <laughs> You know, again, you know, the, the great thing is that the, the historic Protestant confessions, creeds, catechisms, you know, they're all in agreement. And so, uh, you know, our, you know, my Heidelberg Catechism, Belgic Confession of Faith that we use says the same thing as the 39 Articles of Religion. So uh, the 39 Articles, Article 27, talks about uh, infant baptism being most agreeable yes. uh, with the institution of Christ. So, you know, so, so, so why are we baptizing children? Um, I would say, you know, very, this, this very, very simply because we're commanded to do it and there's a covenant. Mm -hmm. um, so command and covenant, those are two key terms, command and covenant. Um, yeah, Matthew 28 that you read, Matthew 28, we're commanded by Jesus to baptize. And so um, Jesus talks about there um, uh, making disciples. That's the, that's the key controlling verb. I'll probably mention that again, but make disciples. That's, that's the key imperative verb in that in that verse and then you know uh go uh baptizing going baptizing teaching um and he says there to make disciples of all nations and so historically speaking you know we we take that all nations to be converts adult converts who profess their faith so we also baptize adults <laughs> yeah. so people think that in reformed churches you no know, anglican dutch presbyterian yeah. you know that we only baptize babies no we bat we have the best of both worlds we baptize adults and children in fact, you've been baptizing a number of, I've seen on your Facebook page, right? A number of uh, adults yep. recently. Yeah, last yeah. two Sundays, we baptized two converts. And then the Sunday yeah. before that, three weeks ago, we baptized uh, a baby. So, yeah. And I'm going to be um, baptizing a baby this weekend uh, where I'm ministering. Yeah. yeah. So I would say to anyone listening or, you know, uh, for those of us who are Anglican or Reformed, uh, you know, in Reformed meaning by denomination, yes. um, uh, and you share this with a friend, tell them, tell them that we get the, to do both. <laughs> <laughs> we're the only tradition, right? I mean, we're, we, I mean, our historic Christian tradition, we do both, you know, whether you're, uh, you know, an Anglican or a Dutch reformed or a Presbyterian, you know, obviously Roman Catholicism, Orthodoxy, you know, it's the more, you know, it's the late, it's that later, you know, uh, uh, emphasis of sort of the only thing, only pun, only when we baptize our converts that limits baptism. So we, we want to baptize all those, who are converts, as well as, as you mentioned earlier, households, mm. um, Acts, you know, 1 Corinthians 1. So the nations, meaning, you know, not just Jews, but Gentiles, but amongst the nations, there are going to be all kinds of people. We see this in Acts, we see the converts. And so the emphasis is on converts in Acts, rightly so, because the gospel is going out for the first time. And people are consciously, you know, to use the terms, you know, consciously choosing Jesus, uh, and they're being baptized. But then there's these strange inclusions of, you know, 
and the household, right? Um, so command, Matthew 28, we're commanded to do this. Um, maybe we want to just focus on that for a few minutes, but then the covenant, there's a, there's a, there's a covenant, there's a relationship, there's a, uh, a sphere in which God works. And so from the beginning of time, uh, from, uh, from the days of Noah and his family, God includes graciously, he includes the person professing their faith and all those associated with him in the, mm. in the household. So Noah is the righteous one who believes, but yet his wife, his three sons and three daughters-in-law also enter the ark. Um, you see with Abraham, Abraham's the one who believed in the Lord counted as righteousness, but yet he's commanded to circumcise his son Ishmael, um, who's about, I think about 13 years old at the time. And then later on, he also is commanded to, to circumcise uh, Isaac um, uh, as, uh, as an eight-year-old boy. And so you have that pattern of Genesis 17, where the Lord commands Abraham, Father Abraham, to circumcise himself, so you, uh, your sons, your natural sons, uh, and then all those servants within your broader household. Mm. And what I find interesting, and I mentioned this last couple of Sundays uh, in our congregation, is in Acts chapter 2, when, um, when Peter says uh, to, to the assembled crowd in Jerusalem, the promise is for you, yeah. your children, and all who are far off. Where did Peter get that threefold pattern? He's a Jew. He got that from Father Abraham, from, from, from Genesis 17. You, your sons, your servants. And that servant language, that household language, transforms into uh, those who are far off. So all those outside, uh, you know, that, in, that immediate household, all those, right, who, who are being brought in, uh, you, your children, all who are far off. So command and covenant. That's why you baptize kids. I like that. I like, I mean, isn't it great when you see the scriptures connecting in, in there and, and you pick up something from Genesis, you see it being rehearsed by Peter in Acts chapter two, and you're saying, hey, this all connects, it all works together. What a, what, what a great thread. Um, yep. Danny, but let's think about what we're doing when we baptize the children of believers. Um, what's the connection with circumcision? What does that mean for our daughters? Does yeah. baptism um, in the New Testament um, replace circumcision in the Old Testament. Just pick this up a little bit for us. And then, and I've also got a butt question for you that I'm going to ask in a minute. <laughs> because, because there's always a response for people. Who yeah. say, I get all that, but, but yep. we'll, come, we'll come back to that. Yeah, the, the, the baptism uh, liturgy, uh, we would call it a form, but yeah, the baptism liturgy in the Book Common Prayer, um, very similar to our form for baptism in, in our tradition. Um talks about bringing so so what are we doing we're bringing our children to jesus um and i find it really striking that in the book on prayer um in our form we just we just we just recite right before we baptize you know the, jesus says let the children come to me do not forbid them for such shall belong for to such belongs the kingdom of god but i find it striking that in the uh the book on prayer the whole that whole chapter or that that whole section of uh, mark 10 is read you know, and cited uh, as a grounding, a biblical grounding for the idea that, you know, we're bringing our, we're not bringing our kids to the church. We're not bringing them to the font. We're not bringing them to the water. We're not bringing them to some, you know, ethereal thing. We're bringing them to Jesus. Um, and, uh, you know, when it goes on to explain that uh, in that, in the book on prayer, it says, uh, you know, by this outward gesture. So it's by, by Jesus receiving children, that to us is a pattern for what we're doing. Um, we, we're, we're bringing them to him. Why? Uh, because they're already members of the covenant. Uh, children of even just one believing parent, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, are holy. And, you know, so pe and people say, well, holy, that's, you know, well, how can they be holy if they don't believe yet? Again, it goes back to the Old Testament that God has always worked in, in broader spheres and mm -hmm. broader circles, and not just a person who consciously professes faith in Jesus Christ, but to that person and to their house, their children, their wives. Uh, I mean, Paul even says, doesn't he, 1 Corinthians 7, that, that the unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse. That's right. Yep. Um, you know, we just don't think that way. You know, we're very individualistic. We don't think that way, but somehow the Lord is at work uh, in them. And so what are we doing? We're bringing them to Jesus. The gospel is proclaimed to our little ones as well. Um, it's a way to separate them from the children of the world, you know? Um, so the church 
is a holy people, a holy nation. All those within its uh, sphere, its bosom, are separated out from the world. They, you know, uh, you know, Johnny still goes and plays next door to Jimmy, but they're different. They're separate. And you know, we would pray and hope that they would be raised in a different way. So, somebody asked, you know, well, well, well you know, what are you doing in infant baptism? Um, you know, I, I, I actually, you know, I've just been explaining this to somebody in our congregation who's been new to our congregation and basically said this, you know, that Mark ten is the is kind of the principle here that we're bringing our children to Jesus. So that's that's the simplest answer that I would give is that we're bringing them to Jesus. And what are we not doing, Danny? Because is because it. <laughs> We, we, we can sometimes, if we're not clear about this, we can make baptism superstitious, yep. right? And, yep. and so, so what are we not doing? Um, talk to me about that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned superstitious. Um, Carol, I'll just read you a little. This is in our historic Dutch Reformed form for baptism that basically came out of Geneva, um, and it has a great line. After, after the minister explains what baptism is, what it does, mm -hmm. what it doesn't do, and so forth, um, it says, uh, oh, my goodness, I, sh I should know this by heart, but, uh, um, oh, there it is. Uh, we must, therefore, use the sacrament for the purpose that God intended and not out of superstition or mere custom. Mm. So, you know, we're not doing this out of superstition or mere custom. Um, and I would, and I would, and I would make the parallel between, um, you know, just like in our historic Protestant confessions, like the 39 articles, I think it's article 28, uh, we reject transubstantiation. We reject that the bread and wine are trans, like the, the, that the substance is changed mm. into the blood and body of Christ uh, in the same way. We don't believe that the water is transubstantiated, changed uh into you know an automatic um the latin term that the roman catholic church used historically was ex opere operato that by doing the work it's done just by baptizing the work is done of of washing of saving just by partaking of bread and wine you know it's done you you've you've eaten christ yeah uh drunk christ's blood apart from any faith right just by doing the work right apart from faith so you know, that's what we're not doing. Like we're, we're not, again, we're not bringing them out of custom or superstition to the water, you know, to the, to the church. Um, we are bringing them to Christ in the, with the prayer, right. That they are incorporated into visibly the covenant community. Um, and we trust and, and, and we have confidence that God is going to use that sign and seal that sacrament baptism to set our children apart. Um, uh, work faith confirm faith that brings a whole other you know can of worms like well when does that you know come that children already have faith do they have faith at at the moment of baptism is it later um and 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 uh you know his, historically reformed people have said to that yes all three <laughs> uh john the baptist seemingly believes in the womb um other times it seems like uh, a person a, a child who's never known a day apart from Jesus Christ. And you ask, well, when did they have faith? You know, perhaps the Lord worked that faith at the time of baptism. Other times people come to the faith later. Um, so the, the Lord is, the spirit is sovereign. He's the wind that Jesus talks about in John three. He blows where he wishes, can't control him. You don't know where he's going, where he's coming from, where he's go, uh, what he's doing. Uh, but we use that sign and seal ordinarily, trusting that God is going to regenerate, uh, give faith, confirm, uh, salvation and new life in that child um so you know but but we're not bringing them you know to water that guarantees ex opere operato that this child you know is necessarily 100 guaranteed you know because we know that's not the case so the water itself is not magic the water so, itself isn't the, the, the water isn't the holy spirit right the water is the sign of the washing of the blood of Christ and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So I said, I've got two butt questions. Yeah, yeah. I've got another one. Right? <laughs> because often, uh, you know, and I, I agree with everything that Danny is saying. Um, uh, you know, I, I remember as a young pastor, um, uh, 
we had some uh, converts who had come to faith. We wanted to baptize them in the river. And the minister said to me, well, what are you going to do? Go up river, throw in a stick, consecrate the water and baptize them when the stick comes down. So, you know, when the he actually said that to me. And I thought, I can't believe you're saying that to me. Anyway, um, he did. Uh, so, Danny, um, Peter does say, and it gets us into trouble sometimes. Peter does say, first Peter, yeah. he says, it's baptism that saves you, right? Yeah. So is he saying there what some people believe it's 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 the act of baptism it's the water that regenerates i don't think he's saying that um i i think he's saying it's what is baptism it's the it's the declaration of faith it's the covenant part of that when we have it with the children but just yep. wrestle that through with me because that does cause it's one of the back questions but what about peter he yep. says baptism saves you yeah um so yeah so does it save well ba baptism saves uh yes uh i mean so the phrase is there right so we want to we affirm the bible so the bible says it so but what does it mean right what does it what does it mean um and i would say yes baptism saves because the believer has the reality of the of what the sign is right the believer embraces the meaning of baptism that i've been washed of my sins by the blood of christ i've been renewed by the power of the holy spirit and so yes baptism saves Baptism is the sign, uh, the outward sign of that inward reality. You know, that's that's St. Augustine. These are visible words. So, you know, it's it's a sign of the promise. And so, yes, it saves because believers have uh, the reality that the sign talks about. And, and Peter even says in that very same passage that it's an appeal for a good conscience, right? So Peter is, is using in a very truncated little line, he's using this sort of distinction between the sign and the thing that's signified. It saves because the person who comes to baptism or who looks back and remembers their baptism, who appeals to God for a, uh, for a clean conscience, right? In other words, faith, for that person, you can look back and you can say sacramentally that baptism, uh, that baptism saves. Um, and, and you said earlier, what is it, Mark 10? We're bringing to yep. Christ. We're coming yep. to Christ. We're drawing to Christ. We're, we're, we're not, in a sense, coming to the water. That's right. The water's involved, obviously. It's the sign. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a symbol of what we're using, yep. but we're bringing to Christ. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that's that's important because we can very easily, with the same with the Lord's Supper. You know, I, when we think about baptism, we got to always keep in mind, you know, what, the, what right. the our, 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 our doctrine of the Lord's Supper is, right? Um, sometimes we divorce those two. Yeah. Um, just the same way as we say that just by eating bread and wine, uh, that's insufficient. You must believe the promise that's signified here in the same way with baptism. Um, and again, we can also like, we can also divorce uh, baptism from Christ very easily. And we forget that we are bringing our children and, you know, and an adult, they're coming to Christ in a visible way. Jesus has ascended. And so in his good grace, he's condescended to us. He's given us sacraments like baptism uh, and the Lord's Supper so that we can see in a visual way what it looks like to come to him to be washed um, so that we can then know the promise of God, the thing that's signified. Um, you know, and I, I guess, you know, uh, just basically your question too, kind of like another side question would be, well, you know, are children saved? You know, do we, wh what do we say about children? When we baptize them, our 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 covenant children, Christians, um, and again, I would say yes, um, because we have a judgment of charity. Um, I'm I'm assuming you know all ministers listening to this have baptized professing a person who's professed who eventually has apostatized, you know, and rejected the faith. So did we lie? Did we say the wrong, did, did, or we were not telling the truth when that, that, that person was baptized? Mm -hmm. And again, we would say we have a judgment of charity. Only God knows the heart. And a person professes or an adult professes who then brings a child. And we say generously, graciously, charitably, um, yeah, this, this person is a Christian. They're in, they're in the church. They're in the sphere and the orbit you know, of, of, of the Christian faith. Um, we pray for them, catechizing them. And so forth. So, yeah, they they but but they're not. We wouldn't want to say that a child, um, that First Peter three. We wouldn't want to say you know baptism saves because of the baptism, right? Um, 
we don't want to make baptism the, the foundation, the ground, uh, the cause of their salvation. No, Christ is that. Christ is that. This, this is the sign in the outward way. And so, uh, yeah, I was, I was just in preparation for this. I was reading through uh, uh, Thomas Rogers. Again, I got an Anglican, the Anglicans here. There you go. Um, his uh, Catholic doctrine of the Church of England. <laughs> and he says uh, that the sacrament of baptism is, is not the cause. I mean, he rejects the idea that baptism is the cause of salvation for an infant so that he rejects that uh in other words uh baptism you know baptism isn't the cause well what's the cause the cause is obviously the grace of god yeah uh, in jesus christ and uh, the lord has again condescended to us by using sacraments signs and seals to help us understand so um yeah so you know that's what we're not doing um and uh you know you might, you, you, maybe you're thinking, or someone might be thinking too, another kind of follow-up. Um, well, well, maybe I'll ask you, I mean, you're, you're the bishop here. Um, uh, what, what, what do Anglicans say about children who die, baptized children who die? Well, I would respond in exactly the same way that you did, Danny, that we, 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 we serve a just God, a gracious God, a generous God uh, who loves, and, uh, and, we, and, we trust in, and we trust into his hands, all who have died in him. Have they died in the faith of Christ? Well, they've died as part of the covenant community that is his. Uh, and so therefore, I've been very comfortable throughout my ministry uh, in reassuring parents who lose a children, that most tragic thing that can happen, the order is so terribly wrong, that God is loving and faithful and good and just and forgiving to yep. those young ones who are brought up in, in a covenant community. Um, and you said it earlier, Danny. It's 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 the it's the reminder to us that we we aren't just to um, uh, to send our child off to the assembly on Sunday morning. We're yep. to bring them. We're we're part of a community together to teach the scriptures, to model the way we live, and and we serve a God who is who is so gracious uh, to us. One of the objections, Danny, of course, to all of this, of those who say to us, and we can we we can perhaps be sympathetic to to some who would say this. But they would say to us, but there is no expression of yep. faith for yep. the child. Um, there, is, there is no believing when you're 18 months old. Just, yep. you, you've touched on this a little bit. Just, just, just develop that a little bit for us. Yeah. Um, you know, I would want to, I would, yeah. So a person who brings that question, objection, you know, whether it's sort of a hard objection or maybe it's just mm -hmm. kind of a light you know, objection, um, you know, I would want to lead them through scriptural passages. Um, again, you know, like Noah and his sons, you know, we know Noah uh, as righteous Noah in contrast, you know, in that, in that context of Genesis, you know, it's like the whole world is as bad as it possibly could ever be, you know, <laughs> and here's this one righteous man. And, you know, graciously these, these, these sons and his wife and their wives get to come into the ark too. Um, you know, and based on at least uh, the, 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 the actions of at least one of their uh, or uh, two of their sons after the flood, it seems like, you know, they were at minimal struggling, sinful Christians, <laughs> believers, uh, if not no believer at all, um, you know, just, but, but there's the Lord, right? I mean, the Lord is saving them through the, because of, not because of, but, you know, through the means of the faith of, of Noah. Um, you have, you know, Abraham again, and, um, you know, he, uh, the same, you know, he, he circumcises Isaac and uh, I mean, he even circumcises Ishmael who, whom, you know, seemingly is not a believer. And the same thing with, with, uh, uh, Esau and Jacob, they're both circumcised. Uh, one goes, you know, goes wayward and one is a struggler for sure, but definitely, you know, embraces the Lord and, um, yeah, the same through, you know, just continue through the whole Bible that if you read the Bible thinking of this, like, wow, look at how the Lord, you know, this idea of a covenant that, you know, it's not just individual family, believers, but community. families, households, you know, even corporate Israel, mm. um, there's this overall graciousness of God to include. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's no faith on behalf of the child. Um, but, you know, we do, we do. Um, you know, whether we have godparents or we just have um, the parents themselves, they do give 
promises. They do express vows of, of uh, faith uh, and obligation to raise this child, these children in the Lord, uh, to teach them the faith that they've been baptized into. Um, and so there, you know, we, we, we do believe that that's significant. You know, that's, that's not an insignificant thing. Um, you know, it's not just a custom. You know, it's not just a mere superstition that we have someone answering on behalf of a child. Uh, it's a meaningful thing. So because we know that the Lord ordinarily uses uh, those parents, those godparents, um, the sacrament, the church corporately, you know, um, to raise and to bring this children to, 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 to nurture their faith. So, yeah, there's, there's a broadness, right, and a generalness of the grace of God um, in the church by means of sacraments. So, um, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, what does this, what does this mean? Yeah, you, uh, you asked me earlier, and I didn't answer um, about circumcision. And what does that mean for for our daughters? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, um, because generally speaking, all of us, you know, in the in the historic Protestant tradition, we we see we see a at a minimum a parallel between circumcision and baptism, if not a replacement. Um, and we see that. You know, Colossians 2, I would say, is, is a key place to go. Colossians 2, 11 and 12, um, where there's a bloody sacrament of circumcision that's replaced with or fulfilled by um, an unbloody washing of water. Um, and Paul talks about there, you know, having been circumcised, and he's, and he's talking there about, you know, receiving the reality. There's, a, there, there's, there's this reality of what circumcision was meant to signify and point us to, which is putting off the body of flesh, meaning putting off our, our, our sinful nature that we had before Christ. We've put that off. And he says, you need know, to put it off by the circumcision of Christ. Um, and, uh, you know, there's sort of two ways in which that normally, normally is understood. It's either, you know, Christ's circumcision, you know, you've put off your sins by Christ's circumcision, meaning the cross. Um, or the way I take it, I think the, I think it's the, the, the easiest or the best way is, uh, I think the NIV translates it as, um, uh, the circumcision done by Christ. You know, we've put off the body of the flesh, yeah. our sinfulness yeah, that's our helpful. Sin nature, yeah. by the circumcision done by Christ, meaning Christ is the one who identifies us with him. How does he do it? Verse 12 of Colossians two, uh, by baptism, right? And again, you know, well, oh, are you saying baptism saves and baptism washes away sins and so forth? You got to think as this is a sacrament. It's a sign of a, of a reality, just like circumcision was. Not all who were circumcised were saved. I mean, look at the exiles. Look at all the sins that Israel committed. But the sacrament is a sign of the reality. And so that's what Paul is saying. He's speaking to believers, right? Those who believe, for those who believe, uh, the, the reality of what the sacrament is meant to communicate is real. Mm. Christ has circumcised you. He's put off your sins. Uh, he's identified you with him. You've put on Christ. You're saved. You're, you're regenerated. Um, but what about, but what about our girls, right? Our, our, our daughters, you know, in the old Testament, it's, it's, it's the males on the eighth day, they've got to be circumcised. Um, and even households, you know, the servants and so forth, you know, it's only the males who are circumcised. What about females? What about, you know, our girls? Um, and this is where I would say, you know, again, the Old Testament is, a, is, a, is, is the Old Testament revelation is a shadow of what's to come. It doesn't tell us all that there is to say about the gospel, but it's leading us towards the gospel. And in the new covenant in Christ, uh, clearly now, um, uh, it's not just males who are incorporated into the covenant by circumcision but now it's males and females who are brought in by the unbloody sign of baptism so uh it's a it's i would say it's an example of how the the new covenant is wider uh it's broader it's more expansive than the old covenant not just to israel and the sign was just to males but now it's you know make disciples of all the nations right all the nations which includes not just males, but also females. And so it's one of those ways to show that uh, all who come to Christ and all who are brought to Christ by baptism are, 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 are promised that they are full heirs uh, of the promises of God and the inheritance that we have in heaven. And so 
Um, you know, this is why Paul talks about in the New Testament, he, he talks about all believers as being sons of God. Why does he use that, you know, uh, that language of sons of God? Why doesn't he say children in a more generic sense? It's because the son in the Old Testament was the one who inherited the promises, right? The father. And so now, uh, you know, Sadie, my 10-year-old who believes in Jesus, she is a son of God, right? She's a firstborn son. She has all the inheritance of the house. It's all hers, right? Isn't that a beautiful, liberating thing? Yeah, it's amazing. Men and women, boys and girls, to see how expensive and inclusive, uh, in those terms, uh, Jesus is uh, in the new covenant makes. Yep. The incredible gift. Danny, uh, three quick questions to finish, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. Baptize first, catechize later, catechize first, baptize later. That's (laughs) a big argument, isn't it? A big question amongst many. Jesus said, baptize and catechize. What are we to make of that? Yeah, that's a good question. you know, that Matthew 28 passage, um, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the make disciples is the imperative verb. So this is the command. Yeah. Make uh, grammatically speaking, yeah. um, there's a command, you'll know, make disciples. Um, and then there's what are called participles. Um, go, baptize, teach, or really going, baptizing, um, teaching. And uh, it's interesting that, you know, uh, in, in Greek, in syntax, in grammar and so forth, um, a lot of studies have been shown that, uh, you know, word studies, that when there's a, uh, a, a main controlling imperative verb, make disciples, and there's a participle that is placed in front of it, and then there's another one, or maybe in this case, two, they're after it, um, the, the participle that goes before the main controlling verb takes on itself um, uh, an imperatival force. So, what, so that's why our translations are good when it says, you know, go make disciples, right? Because um, Jesus so that, still that, says go. It's 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 ongoing, right. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that go takes on sort of the force of an imperative, right? Go and make disciples. Um, but when these participles come after, uh, come after the uh, the main controlling uh, imperative verb. They're more characteristic and more descriptive of that, you know, go and make disciples. So what does it mean to go and make disciples? Well, it means baptizing and, uh, and teaching. And yeah, it's interesting that, that Jesus, I mean, this is not just, you know, some theologian, this is Jesus, (laughs) right? This is the, the the word himself in human flesh uh, says to make disciples is to baptize and to teach. Um, now, obviously, we don't want to make such a huge like point out of that, but I think it is instructive that there's a sort of pattern of discipleship, baptism, catechizing, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, obviously that, that I would say, that, yes, that applies to uh, what we do historically as, 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 you know, reformed churches that have covenant theology, we baptize children, we catechize them. But I would say it's also illustrative of the New Testament. This is why when people come to faith, they're baptized as soon as feasible or as soon as possible. Right. It's pretty quick, right? Yeah, it's pretty quick. Yeah. You know, um, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, he's reading yep. a scroll. Yep. I don't yep. know what this, I don't know what this, this prophet is talking and about. And then we're down in the water. And all yeah. of a sudden, there's the water. Yeah. <laughs> and then the question so, then is, how much water should it be, right? But that's not going to be today, right? <laughs> so, you know. At least in my tradition, we have a tendency to, you know, with a person who's new, who professes yeah. faith, we have a tendency yep. to kind of hold back baptism, okay. take them through a course, take them yep. through a class. No, yep. I, I don't think that's wrong or bad, but I do think, you know, there, there's something to a person professes faith, you baptize them, they're identified with Christ and the covenant people, the church, and then they're, and then you, you know, they, I mean, they are being taught in the context of of liturgy and preaching community um yeah. and yeah but i think then it puts the onus on us as, as ministers to then catechize them to instruct and to make them sure to we do it's them. not baptism on its own you see baptism's not that's right is it christ yeah so I, yeah i think that's the yeah. point is like these yeah. things go together right yeah. these things go together whether it's with a child who's baptized and then their parents are raising them in jesus name uh, and the fear dimension of the lord you know they pray with them at home they they read the bible at home they um you know they come to sunday school perhaps they come to the worship service you know, they are being taught and discipled their whole life, right? And the same thing with the, with the convert. Um, you know, they are being taught when they hear the word preached and read. Uh, but I think it's important for us, too, as pastors to, um, to either ourselves or with in conjunction with another mature believer 
to be in that constant process of, of instruction. So yeah, it's a, I mean, it's, I mean, that's the great commission, right? I mean, that's what, that's what we're supposed to be about is baptizing and making disciples and, Denny, and, and, and teaching. Uh, you know, Jesus was pretty welcoming of the children. He makes that pretty yep. clear. Um, children are important. Um, the little ones are important. You wrote another book called The Nursery of the Holy Spirit, uh, Welcoming Children and Worship. Just practically, very quickly, a few practical steps that the church body builds on the foundation laid in baptism with children, children and worship. You know, should we send them off and take them out of liturgy on a Sunday morning? I mean, that's often a question people ask. Yeah, yeah. Um, I make the point in the book, I try to argue that our children because they're members of the covenant and because the covenant community is the sphere in which the Holy spirit ordinarily works through his word and sacraments and prayer, uh, that, that they should be with us, you know, and that our, our congregation should be welcoming places for our children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we try to foster that in our congregation's life for the last two decades. Um, yeah, there are times where you might need a nursery. You might need, you might need a, a place for, you know, a cry room or some place for parents to take a, a kid out um you know perhaps you know like in our context we have two worship services on sunday morning and evening morning afternoon you know maybe um you know maybe you keep them in for the whole service one service and maybe it's appropriate for another service you know to have them go out for a class perhaps Mm -hmm. um you know i don't want to i don't want to be you know utterly dogmatic but i think it's important for our kids to be in public worship learning to pray learning to hear the word learning to participate um you know and another thing about that i would say is um you know the christian faith because it's covenantal it's a multi-generational thing and so you know when we take our kids out and put them in their own classes with their peers they miss i I think they miss something you know um i i think it's important for our kids to see uh elderly believers singing you know uh, without even having a hymnal in front of them because they know it so well, right? I think it's important for for elderly Christians to see that they can have an impact in passing the faith on just by their example, but also, you know, hey, when the service is finished, like seeing kids talking to adults and adults talking to kids, you know, um, just being a part of that overall, you know, liturgical life. So, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, you know, really important to foster that kind of a community. Um, and I know, uh, yeah, I, I was re- I was looking again at the book on prayer and the the, the liturgy for baptism, you know, and uh, there's an explanation of those vows that godparents make: uh, renounce the world, embrace the gospel, walk in the ways of of Christ, uh, of Christ's commandments. You know, you have the repentance, faith, and sanctification. You know, theologically speaking, um, and then that's explained uh, after the baptism happens. Then there's a little address to the godparents. Um, yep. And it gives three, it gives three points, doesn't it? You know, to basically bring these kids to hear sermons. And I find it interesting. That's the first thing mentioned, right? Hear sermons. Um, you know, we're a word, our religion is a word, a word-based religion, right? So hear sermons, learn the creed, the Lord's prayer, the, the 10 commands, and then bring them up in a godly life. And I think the best place to do that obviously is like the with, yep. yeah, in the corporate way, right? In the corporate way. And then from that corporate life together, we all go out to our, you know, whether we're a single, we go home, we're a couple, we're a family, you know, whether we have, you know, in-laws or grandparents living with us, like we go together, but then we go out from that back into the world, into our own families, our own homes, you know, our own roommate situation, you know, and we seek to continue that life that we've just been, you know, brought together into, so... I'm talking to uh, my friend and advisor, the Reverend and soon-to-be Dr. Danny Hyde. It's great to have you, Danny. One final question as we conclude this week. Hey, Danny, um, somebody comes and they say, I want to get the baby done. You know, great aunt, <laughs> great aunt, great aunt Valerie's coming to, uh, to town and I've got to get the baby done. Um, you know, um, uh, we're not married. Um, uh, we don't go to church, but we want to get the baby done to satisfy Great Aunt Val. Uh, what do you say to them? Uh, is that is that the Anglican lingo? Is that, is that how it goes? Well, I don't know. People say that. Let's get the baby done. You know, or, or maybe that's yeah. uh, maybe that's a Kiwi phrase. Get the maybe baby it's done. Probably a Kiwi phrase. Yeah, I haven't heard that before. That's why I laughed. Um, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, wow. Um, so you know, I would say no. 
Yeah. I would say no. Um, here's why. Here's why. Again, baptism is a is a is a is a sign of the covenant. It's a sign of the covenant, meaning you have to have at least one believing parent. You know, the, the one Corinthians seven principle. There's got to be at least one believing parent. Um, and uh, so, you know, but my but my saying no is not like a uh, you know. You just you you say no. You close the door. You slam the door yeah, in the face. No push off. Don't talk to me anymore. It's not that. Yeah. So yeah, I've had yeah. similar you know discussions with people. Obviously in my congregation, you know, over twenty years, and so I would encourage pastors out there, you know, use that as an opportunity to evangelize this couple. Yeah, evangelize and disciple. You know, hey, why are you here? Interesting that you you know you don't go to church. You don't profess faith. But you know, Aunt Valerie, who does, she's she's a hardcore. You know, on on her knees, prayer book, Anglican. You know, and. Uh, you know, interesting that you would want to, you know, come to come to a to me, you know, like there's something inside of you that's that sort of perking your is it just guilt? Is there something more there? You know, like, hey, this is a chance for you to evangelize, give the gospel, invite to church. Hey, why don't you come over to my house uh, for dinner this week? Let's go out to coffee together. Um, let's get to, let, let's talk about what this is all about. And you talk about the meaning of baptism. Hey, like, we, we don't baptize lightly here, you know, right. our children, we baptize because we're sinners, right? We are sinners, and the water of baptism is meant to point, out, point to the washing away of sins, you know, do you believe that you're a sinner? How do you think your sins are going to be washed away? What do you think God thinks about you, you know? So that's, that's how I've always approached it as, you know, this is a God brought, you know, God has brought to me uh, an opportunity to, to, to share the gospel with, with people that for some reason, they just showed up on my doorstep, you know? It's a great, it's a great it's chance, a great you know, opportunity. And I agree with you. you know? That was the pattern in my own ministry when I was a pastor. It's certainly how to encourage our ministers. You know, we, we have a high view of these two sacraments yep. that Christ has given us, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the reason we have a high view of them is because Christ has given them to us. And you said earlier, Danny, so important. These sacraments aren't the end. Christ is the end. Draw, yep. draw people unto him. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to do that. It's been so great, Danny, talking about baptism with you. Take a look at the show notes. Danny's book is there. I encourage you to get a copy of it um, online. Uh, Danny's going to come back next time. We're talk of, talking about why do we still use the historic creeds? That's going to be cool, Danny, because so many people say, why do we use them still? Yeah. You know, yeah. these, these ancient creeds, these creeds of the Reformation. So we're going we're gonna to think about that. We're going to talk about it. We're going to see why it's so important that we rehearse our faith regularly in the yep. church. And Amen. the great gift of these um, creeds. Danny, thank you for being on. Great to have you. I'm Julian Dobbs, and this has been Living Through the Word. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace.